The following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. So good to see you. Everybody doing okay tonight? You look good. Hey, do me a favor. Turn around, high five three people. Tell them you're glad to see them at Christian Life Austin midweek. And you may find your seat. I love it. Nice full house. Great crowd tonight on a Wednesday night. We're so glad that you're here. Hey, by the way, uh, Sunday is my favorite day of the year. Not. It's spring forward. I like that other one. I like that other one a lot better. Praise Jesus. Oh, extra hour of sleep. I'll take that. But this one, you're going to have to go to bed an hour earlier. But don't forget, uh, most of you have your alarm clock on your phone, and it just changes at like 2 in the morning when you're asleep anyway. But uh, be sure that uh, you set your clocks forward as we spring forward this upcoming Sunday. I don't want you to miss part two of what we, wasn't, wasn't Sunday great? Wasn't it good? Man, it just, the, the whole week we've just had this internal buzz at the office, just excited about what God is doing. And it's just kind of fun to just sit back and go, you're, you're cool. Like ju- it's ju- just watching him move and do his thing. And you want to be here for part two of that. Also, uh, next Wednesday, I know Big O mentioned this, but we have our, our, our one big night. We want you to be a part of that. And then the following Wednesday, just so you know, we're doing this uh, new thing. We're doing a marriage enrich- enrichment class. Uh, I don't care where your marriage is. Every marriage could use a little continuing education, so to speak. And so if you, if you just want to get a little enrichment, a little love, a little, little pat on the back, it's just six weeks. We're not talking about a, a 15-week thing, six weeks, uh, but Dr. Alan Norma Taylor going to be teaching that. I'll be up there as well. It's just going to be an awesome time, so we want you to be a part of that. You can sign up today uh, at the Information Center following service. Just want to let you know that that is happening. All right. By the way, my name's Reed. It's good to see everybody. Uh, I know you'd much rather see somebody else up here, but you're stuck with me one more week. We are continuing this series that we started last week, this little two-week mini-series called The Disciple of a DNA. Uh, Our DNA's disciple, I should say. Disciple's DNA. What does it look like to have a DNA of a disciple? Now, DNA is a set of traits, qualities, or features that are characteristic of a person or thing. Traits, qualities, or features that are characteristic of a person or thing. What are the traits, qualities, and features that are characteristic of a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, all throughout the Word, there's a lot of stuff about discipleship, uh, but there are six directives that Jesus specifically gave to us and said, if you're going to follow me, these things should be true of you. So we're going to do a little review. If you weren't here last week, I want you to, uh, to just listen closely. I'm going to give you a, a five-minute summation of a 35-minute talk, okay? So last week, we looked at Luke 14. And the first three statements that Jesus made that should be true of disciples. The first one's Luke 14, 26. Luke 14, 26. It'll be on the screen for you. Luke 14, 26. Jesus says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So these are conditional statements. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. These aren't optional. These are mandatory. At least that's what it sounds like to me. So what is he talking about here? If you weren't here last week, you're really confused. You're like, hate my mom. That's what he wants me to do. Um, That's not what he says. And we we broke this down last week in detail. But just eight chapters before in Luke 6, he says, I want you to love enemies. Love your enemies and not really just love them. Just be really good to them. Like, 
gracious to your enemies. So he wouldn't say love your enemies and hate your parents, hate your wife, hate your... So what is he saying? What he's saying in Luke 14, 26, and again, we, we looked at this more last week, but he's saying, I want you to love me so much that all your other closest relationships in life look like hate by comparison. Now, when people see your love for me, they say, he has a holistic, he is all in, all his soul, all his heart, all his mind, all his strength. He loves God with all. That all the other closest, closest relationships in life look like hate when compared to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.10 would say it this way, that am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ, is what Galatians tells us. So that's kind of where I gauge that verse. I'm, every day, every day I think about what someone else thinks of me. But I'm talking about on, on, a, on a broader scale, day to day, are you living your life to please God or people? Luke 14, 26. Here's the next one, Luke 14, 27. We said this a minute ago. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he is talking about death here. He is talking about death. He's not just talking about some burden you might be carrying. He's talking about death. But can you physically die? Is that what he's talking about? Physically dying with him. We know that's not true because Luke 9, 23 He says to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So I can't physically die every day. So what is Jesus talking about in this example? What he means by this is every single day I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my wills. I'm laying down my ambitions. I'm laying down my goals. I'm laying down my plans to pick up his mantle, to pick up his plans, to pick up his goals, to pick up his dreams, to pick up his will, and say, God, you've got a much better plan than I have. You know the plans you have for me, and they're a much better plan than I could ever come up with on my own. Before you formed me in the womb, you knew me. Before I was born, you set me apart. Every day's been ordained for me and written in a book before one day comes to be. God, I'm going to trust your plan. I have been crucified with you. And I don't live anymore, but you're going to live through me and in me and with me. So that's what that's talking about, that every day you'd make a conscientious decision to say, I'm laying down Reed, and I'm picking up Jesus, and I'm going to live for Jesus, and I'm going to do what Jesus has on his agenda for my life today. And the last one we looked at last week, Luke 14, 33, in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now in the first one, when he said, hate your family, did he really mean that? No. In the second one, when he says, I want you to physically die, did he mean that? No. So in this one, does he mean you want you to physically give up everything you have? Probably no. Uh, there are instances where he told people to do that, but their money was their God. But I think it's that idea of just saying that everything is yours. I, I can't take any of this with me. And so it's all yours. And so if God says give, you just say, okay, I'll give. If he says Share, then yeah, I'll share. If he says buy, then okay, I'll buy. Whatever he tells me to do, I do. It's, it's that idea. It's not a clenched fist mentality, but it's an open hand mentality saying, God, it's all yours anyway. So help me steward well what you have blessed me with. So those are the first three. And again, I did five minutes and what I did for 40 minutes last week. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go to online to clcaustin.com and listen to part one. We're going to jump into the next three statements Jesus said should be true of you if you're really his disciples. The first one's in John 8, 31. John 8, 31. This is what it says. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, 
In some of your translations, it probably says, if you abide by my word, which I actually prefer, you're really my disciples. If you hold my teachings, if you abide by my word. Abide. The word abide means to live in or to remain in or to put up your camp and dwell in, to stay right there, to be in this book. 1 Samuel 3.21 is really critical for me here. And 1 Samuel 3.21 says this, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Wait a minute. Samuel saw the Lord? Uh Uh-huh. He revealed himself to Samuel? Yes. How did he reveal himself? Through his word. So we're going to see Jesus through these pages, and, and that's why it's so critical. That's why he says, I want you to hold to this. I want you to abide in this. I want you to be in, I want you to delight yourself in this. Someone says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I love that David wrote that and he probably didn't have 66 books. He probably had five. He probably had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He probably had the Torah and that's it. And he's going, oh, I delight in Deuteronomy. Yeah, I love Leviticus. I'm enamored by numbers, right? He's just so excited. And you're like, Leviticus, right? You're just, he's like, I'm so excited about the word of God. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. I'm just so in love with this book. And I'm not just going to read it, but I want to apply it. I don't want to merely listen to the word and so deceive myself. So I want to do what the word says. That's what James 1 would tell us to do. And not just be in the book, But I want to encourage you to allow this book to be in you. You can't just be in the Bible. You have to allow the Bible to be in you. I want to show you an incredible text out of Matthew 4. This really revolutionized the Bible for me and made me commit to memorizing its pages. Look at this, Matthew 4. Now, Jesus was tempted when he was on earth. Hebrews tells us he was tempted in every way we are tempted, yet he never sinned. Because he kept yielding his life to the will of God for his life. But this is an example of a time that he was tempted. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I'm going to add a big duh right there, okay? I also love this little side note. The enemy will come to you at your weakest state. I had somebody just, just an hour ago come to me and they said, can, we, can you take us to the hospital? And I could not take him at that time. But I said, I, I want to make sure you're taken care of. And, and I'm standing on the porch and I'm praying with these people. And they said, what is it with the trials and tribulations? They just keep coming. I said, well, just think about it. Is he going to let you get back on your feet and the enemy's going to let you get, your, get the word under your feet and get firm again and then hit you? No, he's going to hit you when you're down. He's going to hit you when you're down. He's going to hit you when you're weak. That's how the enemy, that's, that's what I do. You ever watch a UFC fight? Right? They don't knock them down and go, get up. No, they're like, you know, they're, they're pouncing on them. Hit them while they're down. He waits till he's really, really tired, really, really hurt, really, really hungry. And he goes, <laughs> I'm stepping in. Look at this. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Pretty good temptation. I would have, I would have probably done that one. Uh, I would have made McNuggets, but that's another thing. 
And Jesus says, this is so beautiful. Read it with me, the white words. What does it say? It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Oh, the devil gets tricky. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. Don't let the devil know the Bible better than you do. And he'll use the Bible to get you to sin. And you'll pull it out of context and say, I'm doing, no. That's what he's doing here. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus replies in verse 7, it's also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For, what does it say? It is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times Jesus is tempted in Matthew 4. And three times he fights the temptation with scripture. You know where those scriptures are found, the three scriptures that Jesus shares there? All three of them are found in the book of Deuteronomy. What if your success or failure of defeating the enemy tomorrow was dependent upon your knowledge of Deuteronomy? We need to be in this book, and we need this book to be in us. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If Jesus fights off the enemy with his word... We need to fight off his enemy, the enemy with, with this word. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's not on the screen, but it says this, that no temptation has seized you except what's common to man, and God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it or stand up against it. And so many times in my life, the thing that stood up against the enemy is, is just tucking away one of those words in my heart. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I will not sin against God. I want to put that away so when the enemy comes on a dark day and I'm, I'm, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm hungry, what, and he hits me with that, I can, I can replace his deception with truth. And I've tucked that away. This book is so powerful. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that every word of this is the breath of God. I want to show you the power in these pages. This is so cool. I want to show you this. This is Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. Now, let me just tell you and set up Proverbs for you. Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 talk about these two women. Okay, you have the woman of righteousness, which is an allusion to righteousness or righteous living. And you have a woman of adultery, which is an allusion to sin and sinfulness. This is talking about the woman of adultery. So it's talking about sin. Listen to this. My son, this is so good. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman, the lips of sin drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Hang on. Sin looks really good. I like sin. It looks tasty. It looks like honey dripping off your lips. It looks like a smooth oil. But, verse 4, in the end, she is bitter as gall. Just bitter. It's supposed to taste sweet. It's just bitter. And sin is, read that with me, sharp as a double-edged sword. I challenge you to look that up in your, in your whatever Bible. This is the New International Version. Whatever version you have of the Bible, look that up. It's going to be something similar to that. Sharp as a two-edged sword, maybe. But sharp as a double-edged sword. 
Her feet, sin, go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Paul backs that up in Romans 6. He says the wages of sin is death. Right? So her feet go down to death. Sin always looks good, but it always leads to death. Maybe not your physical death, but the death of a relationship, the death of a career, the death of something. And it's sharp. It's sharp as a double-edged sword, but listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. There's good hope. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This, this book right here is sharper. And I think that's why Paul in Ephesians 6, when he says, arm yourself with the armor of God, he says, put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and have the shield of faith and the belt buckle of truth and the sandals fitted with the gospel of peace. And the, it's all this gear, all this stuff I got to wear, all this defensive stuff. The only offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Sin's sharp. It's sharp as a double-edged sword. This is sharper than any double-edged sword. Which makes sense to me that Romans 8.13 says if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, if by the sword of the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. God wants you to hold to his teachings. God wants you to abide in his word. He wants you to be in his book. And yet we don't. Look, we memorize stuff for school and for work and for entertainment. Some of you have not heard Miley Cyrus's party in the USA since 2009. But you could sing every lyric, right? So I put my hands up to play in my song. Butterflies fly away. Not in my head like. Moving my hips like. You haven't heard that in eight years. We memorize silly stuff. But why? How do I know that? Because I meditated on it. Came on the radio all the time in 2009. Not that song, but I have delighted myself in music. And I just listened to it on repeat. And then eight years later, I can sing the lyrics like they were yesterday. Delight yourself in this. Meditate in this. Hold to this teaching. Abide by this word. You can do it. I know people say, well, I can't memorize. Yes, you can. We all do, every day. It's just a commitment. And let me just say this, and this is not, I say this in complete and total humility. This is, I'm trying to tell you that this is an encouragement, okay? I don't care who you are. If you're a baby, I don't care, whoever you are in here, there's a baby in the room. I don't hear you, but I'm glad you're here. I don't care who you are. You have at least as much seminary and biblical training as I do. Zero. I don't have any. I've never been to Bible school. I've never been to seminary. I have a degree from the University of Texas. Whoa, yay, in journalism. I wasn't supposed to be a pastor. I was supposed to be on Sports Center tonight. That's what I thought God had me. And he, and he said, no, i got another, another, another different plan for you. So again, I just say that as an encouragement. I'm not that smart. I'll just be honest. I'm not that smart. I'm pretty simple. I just kind of like this book. And so I want to use that as an encouragement to you that you don't have to go to Bible school or seminary or you just pick it up and start delighting in its pages. Meditate on this day and night. Hold to its teachings. Abide by its word. All right. Here's the second one. John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says this. A new command I give you, love one another. And then he says this. He says, as I have loved you, 
So you must love one another, and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, if you love one another. Now, if you look at the original language on this, this isn't talking about love one another in the, in, in the sense of loving just general mankind. I think there's a place for that. What this is talking about, he's actually talking about loving other brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to his disciples in, in, a, in a very small sphere, and he says, hey, I want you to love one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love each other in the same way. And this is how the world's going to know. You know what the world says? Because I've talked to people, and this is their excuse. I don't want to go to church because everybody in the church doesn't even like each other. <laughs> so why would I want to go and be a part of something like that? Now, let me just say this. Christian life, Austin, is atypical. But the Big C Church, there's not a lot of love. There's a lot of disputes. There's a lot of angry people. Uh, I, credit, I credit our senior pastor to, to the love that's in this place. But that doesn't mean we're, we're immune. There might be somebody in here who's wrestling with loving. There might be some, you're sitting over here because you know they're sitting over there. I don't know what's going on. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to love one another. Listen to this. This is Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. We're supposed to do it for everybody, but especially those in the room. One of my favorite books is 1 John. I encourage you to read it. It's five chapters. It won't take you long. You can do it tonight. 1 John, John wrote 1 John. And uh, I'll tell you why I wrote it. He, he actually says why I wrote it. In 1 John 5.13, this is what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, this is why I wrote 1 John. So those of you who believe know you have eternal life. So it's kind of a, a, a checklist of going, okay, yeah, that's me, that's me. And there's 35, or dependent upon your translation, maybe 36 conditional statements in 1 John. It's chock full of conditional statements in those five chapters. So things like, if you do this, then you belong to Christ. If you do not do this, then you do not belong to Christ. If you do this, then you belong to light. If you do not do this, then you belong to the darkness. Or things like that. 35 conditional statements. 13 of those, 13 of the 35, or over a third of them, have to do with loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just show you. We're going to go through these quickly. Let me just show you a few of these. Okay, This is 1 John 2. Nine, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Verses 10 and 11, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. That's 1 John 2.10. Let's look at 1 John 3.10. This is the very next chapter. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister, okay? So we saw 1 John 2, 1 John 3. Here's 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Nine verses later, verse 21. And he, gave, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. 35 conditional statements, and 13 of them have to do with loving our brothers and sisters. So obviously it's pretty high on Jesus and John's agenda we got to love each other. Can you imagine if McDonald's and Chick-fil-A started working together? 
And they just said, you know what? We see a need. And there's people that are hungry around noon and then again around 6. And so we're going to team up and we're just going to feed everybody. Number one, that would be awesome. Because I could get Chick-fil-A nuggets and McDonald's french fries in the same visit. Praise Jesus. But number two, what would the world say to that, honestly? They'd go, that's pretty cool. Right? It's not about competition. It's about collaboration. It's pretty cool. What if the church did that? What if instead of building up our own churches, we said, you know what? I'm not the pastor of a church, but I'm a pastor of the church. I'm a pastor of the bride of Christ. That's one thing, again, I love so much about this specific bride, this this expression of the bride of Christ. Christian Life also not only supports uh, financially with volunteers, all those different things, other ministries in Austin and to the ends of the earth, but I love that we support each other internally too. I love that. I love that that, uh, Pastor Casey and Pastor Blake helped Pastor Randy, and I love that Pastor Brad has helped me, and I I love that that Pastor Brandon has helped Pastor Brad. Like We we all want to help each other's ministries succeed because we go, there's a bigger goal. There's a greater goal of seeing God's kingdom advance, and that's what he's talking about. I want you to love one another. I want you to work together because there's a greater good than your own personal kingdom. It's about Christ's kingdom and building that up. And that's why he wants us to work together and to love one another. So I don't know where you're at tonight. I want to, this is Colossians 3. This is good. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves I love that analogy. Just put it on. Kindness, excuse me, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So he says here, put all this stuff on. Gives gives us six things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. But look at the next verse, 14. And over all these virtues, this is the big overcoat. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He said, I want you to love. I want you to love. I want you to love. Listen, we exist to love you right where you're at and to move you where God wants you to be. We want to love. We want you to love. We want you to love internally. We've got to love. We've got to love. And some of you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know how to love. I don't, do you know them? They're hard to love. You just got to love. Maybe you just, you know, you Matthew 18, you go have a conversation with them. Listen, I need, to, I need to talk to you about something. Some of you need to have that conversation. Maybe it's with the person sitting right next to you. But we've got to love each other. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we submit to Christ by submitting to each other and saying, listen, I love you. And we've got to love them with a the Christ-like love, a love that is patient and that is kind and that does not envy and does not boast and is not proud. A love that is not rude or self-seeking. That's a big one. Can't be self-seeking. Your motivation can't be selfish, selfish but selfless. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's what Paul says. That's what God says. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Think about that. When he says in John 13, the, the text we read a minute ago, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what he's saying is the same kind of love that I give to you. And you know what kind of love I give to you? A love that keeps no record of your wrongs. 
I've said this before, and it's worth repeating, but if all I did was sin three times a day, three bad actions, three bad thoughts, I sin more than that, unfortunately. But if all I did was three things a day that were sinful against God's will for my life, I would have sinned over 40,000 times in my 36 years of living. 40,000 times saying, God, my way's better than your way. I got this. I do this better than you do me. I I, I got this. And 40,000 times God said, I love you and I forgive you. And he says, as I have loved you, you got to love other people that way. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love always protects. Love always hopes. Love always trusts. Love always perseveres. It never fails. And if you have a tough time loving people, then just seek God. Because guess what? 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says that God is love and that love comes from God. So you can just draw close to God and allow him, the source of love, to draw close to you and say, God, I need you to help me love them. I'm having a tough time loving my neighbor. I'm having a tough time loving this brother or sister in Christ. We don't think the same way politically. It's okay. Love them. That's how the world is going to know that we're his disciples if we love one another. There's too much at stake. And part of the fruit of the Spirit, that's what he gives to you, is love. Galatians 5. Joy, peace, patience. That's the first one. Love. Love. Lord, help us love. And the last one. This is John 15, 8. The last of the discipleship statements. Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. Now, I want to pause really quickly here because I want to make sure that we're abundantly clear on this because this one can be tricky. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. So it's not about anything that you've done. You're not saved by your own accomplishments. I asked somebody today, actually, I got my hair cut today. Doesn't that look good? And I asked them, I said, I'm teasing. I said, but we, we were talking about just God things. She brought it up. And so I said, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And, and, and part of her answer was that. Was I, 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 just, I think if you're a good person, it's not about what you've done. It's not about our works. You're not saved by that. That's what the Bible says. We're saved by faith, not by works, so no one can boast. The only thing I can boast in is what Christ has done on my behalf. He died on a cross for my sins. His grace is something I cannot acquire on my own. It's just a free gift. I just have to receive that gift. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. That's Acts 16, 31. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it's, it's a faith. Everybody understand? Say, Salvation comes through faith alone. Okay, now let's look at this verse, John 15, 8. No, go, go ahead. Go back to the same one. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay? So how do we pull that off? If we're saved by faith, but Christ says, but I want you to bear some fruit if you're really my disciples. This is the passage that really helps me to understand this best. It's James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. James chapter 2. James, the brother of Jesus, kind of unpacks this for us better than anybody I I, I found. This is what it says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? By the way, this is a a text, James 2, that a lot of people use as like a works thing. They say that they're justifying their, their social justice movement with James 2, which is fine. But this isn't about works. This is about faith. So think about this from the lens of faith. This is a faith chapter, okay? 
All right, now listen to this. Now, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So I can't see a brother or sister who's struggling and say, hey, we're going to pray for you. You know, and, and, and have the capacity to help them and not help them. That's why I love this church and, and the benevolence that we, that's one of our, our five core values is a generous place. And we help a lot of people with a lot of different needs. And we love doing that. But that's, that's James. If you have this faith, you got to back that up with some action. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? This is the best. This is the, this is the crux of the passage. Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now let me just kind of share this story briefly with you if you didn't know this story. So Abraham was praying for a son. And at 75 years old, God calls Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And this guy calls him. He's 75. So we're going to start his faith journey at 75. That's the latest it could have started at 75. Well, God finally gives him his first son at 100. Can you imagine being a dad at 100? (laughs) That's just funny. Um, So he has a son at 100. And then God says... Sacrifice him for me. I want your boy. This boy, a hundred years. I waited a hundred years. Give me your boy. I think this is Luke fourteen twenty six coming to fruition. Right? If you're going to follow me, you've got to hate your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters. Right? This is, this is what he's doing. How much do you love me? Do you love me enough to sacrifice him? And so Abraham follows suit, and he goes, okay, okay, I do, I do, I love you. And so he says, Isaac, let's go. And so Isaac, Genesis 22 says that they're going up, and Isaac is carrying his own wood, which is just funny. He's like carrying it. Where are we going, Dad? Uh, We're going to go sacrifice. Where, what are we sacrificing? God's going to get you. (laughs) God's going to provide so I don't know how old Isaac was, it doesn't say, but I'm assuming he's at least 8 to 10. Let's just say 10. He's 10 years, because he's carrying his own wood. So he's got to be at least, I mean, I've seen these, like, pictures of, like, in, like, Bible, like, kids' Bibles, and, like, it's like a baby. But he's carrying his wood, so he's at least 8 to 10. Let's say he's 10. He gets up there, and right before Abraham is about to kill him, an angel of the Lord stops Abraham and says, you, you, you passed the test. I'm not going to make you take your son's life. I love your son, and I love you, and you've proven yourself to me. It's a beautiful picture. But listen, comes to faith at 75, has Isaac at 100, that's 25 years, and probably 10 more years before he goes up to sacrifice Isaac. So we're talking 35 years from the day of faith to the fruit. And look at what he says. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So you have faith in Jesus Christ, and that's what saves you. But if we're going to say, you're my Lord, then I should have some fruit of that. 
Would you not agree? If I say, I'm an apple tree, I should bear apples. If I say, I'm an orange tree, I should have, you know, some sweet nectar under my arms, right? There should, there should be something going on. Sorry, that was a really bad analogy. Um, <laughs> we should, right? We, if, we're, if, we, if we call ourselves something, we should bear the fruit of that something. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in John 15. And he goes, listen, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what does your fruit look like? Maybe you're training your kids up in the way that they would go and they won't depart from it. Maybe they're praying. You're teaching them God's word. You're teaching them some, some scripture. Maybe you and your wife are praying together. I do a lot of marital counseling, and that's one question I love to ask is, are you praying together? And most times couples say no. I heard a, I heard a statistic years ago. I don't know if it's true, but I like to believe it, it is that uh, couples that pray together have a 100% success rate. So if you're struggling in your marriage, start there. Start praying together tonight. Maybe that's part of your fruit. Maybe a part of your fruit is, is, is you're the guy or the girl at the office that everybody comes to with the spiritual questions. And that they acknowledge that you love Jesus. That's a pretty cool fruit. Or do the people you work with even know that you attend church and that you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Maybe part of your fruit is you invite them here. Maybe part of the fruit is they're sitting here and you are the one that extended the initial invitation. But we should have some fruit. He says, bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, we're not saved by our fruit. i got to say that again. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith and faith alone. But if we have true saving faith, we should want to show some works and say, God, here's some fruit because I want to advance your kingdom. Randy, if you'll help me. That's it. There's six statements that Jesus said. He says, if you're my disciple, if you're my disciple, I want you to love me more than everybody else. I want you to love me more than everything else. I want you to love me more than life itself. I want you to be in this book. This is Jesus' words, not mine. I want you to hold to my teachings. I want you to abide by my word. I want you to be in this book and let this book be in you. Hold to it. Abide in it. Delight in it. Meditate in it. I want you to love each other. Not just like this vague, oh, I love all of mankind. No, I want you to love the person that's the most difficult to love, if, especially if they're in the family of believers. I want you to love them. Maybe God is calling some of you to make that phone call that you've been dreading because you've been holding a grudge and you should have been holding the phone and begging for their forgiveness and saying, I'm sorry, you know, I, I own that I've held this grudge and I pray you'd forgive me for my wrongdoing. Love, love, love one another. And that you bear fruit. That's kind of a tough one to check off the list, but I'd want, I want to start just sowing in seeds and at the proper time we'll reap a harvest of wonderful fruit saying that, God, I see you're working in my life. I see you're bringing, you know, plugging into a ministry. That's a great place to bear some fruit. You start serving somewhere and then you see God use your service and it just, it just encourages you. Again, these are Jesus' words, and he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that person's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. If you'll listen to me and you'll put them into practice, you'll do what I'm asking you to do. This is what I, this, these characteristics 
qualities, traits, features. This should be true of you if you call yourself one of mine. So hopefully, as we've gone through these six over the last two weeks, there's one of those that you say, you know what, Reed? I need to work on that one. You know what, Reed? That's something I can start tomorrow. I know we're about two months removed, but maybe this is your new New Year's resolution because you already gave up on the other one. You say, God, I want to be a disciple of you. I want to be a disciple of you. Here's what I love to do, and, and this was not part of my plan, but I'm just trying to be obedient. Uh, I love for our prayer partners to come. Uh, just really quickly, if our prayer partners would come, um, I feel like there's some people in the house who just say, I, I, just, I just need prayer. I need prayer for strength. Listen, I don't know what God's saying to you, but I know he's saying something. And our response has to be, yes, Lord, if we're truly his disciples. And so I want to give you an opportunity just to come down for prayer. And these people, listen, they're just disciples. And there may be areas that we need to grow. There's certainly areas I need to grow and improve as a disciple. But I, I just want to be better. I want to be a better disciple. Because I just love Jesus that much. Why don't everybody stand together? I want to pray for you all, and if you'd like prayer, I'd love for you to come down and let one of our prayer partners just pray for you as we worship together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this blessed word. God, we talked about a few things tonight, but first and foremost, we talked about abiding by your teachings. God, you know the thoughts and the attitudes of the Bible across this room. Some people are very bored when they go to your book. Some people are very excited, and it's normal for them to be in it, but they don't have the the discipline for the sake of memorizing it. God, I pray that you would give us a desire to be in these pages, that you would speak to us and through us and in us, that we not only be in it, but we would allow it to be in us. And it'd be the overflow of our lips and our hearts every day as we would just quote the word, the breath, the life of God. God, for people in here who just, they're holding grudges and it's tough for them to love, especially as you have loved us. That's the toughest part of that whole passage. Love as I have loved you. You love us unconditionally. There's great mercy and grace and forgiveness and kindness at the cross of Jesus. And you're telling us to extend that kind of a love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us need to build bridges as opposed to creating chasms. That we need to make some phone calls or have some difficult conversations. But Lord, you're calling us to love each other. And finally, you're calling us to bear fruit. That's what it means to be a disciple, to bear much fruit. And God, I pray that we would see so much fruit. God, I'm so excited about what you're doing at Christian Life Austin and the vision that you've given our senior pastor that we had laid out on Sunday. And God, I want this place to just explode. That 10,000 person revival that he's been praying for, I believe it can happen, but it can't happen on his shoulders alone. It has to be the people of God bearing much fruit. Investing in their neighbors, investing in their coworkers, investing in their friends, investing in their family, sowing seeds of ministry, bringing church to them, inviting them to church, that we begin to bear fruit. Not because we're saved by those things, because we love you and those things complete our faith. Lord, help us to be better disciples of you. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.